You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or however you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at HerdPodcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Tonight in the studio, we have the owner of Antony's Chips and Salsa. He's also a sandwich connoisseur, the host of the Sandwich Talk podcast on the PlanetNet Network, and he's also a pop-up entrepreneur and a food enthusiast, Carlos Parisi. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey. I, uh, I was just really into the whole Jardinera thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... You know, because you're a, a sandwich connoisseur, I thought we would bring a sandwich. And uh, Ganella's <laughs> is known for their sandwiches, and there's two locations. There's the originals in Dearborn. Yeah. Um, the second location is uh, on Telegraph Road. Uh, I think it's in Redford, if I'm not mistaken. And the yeah. border of Redford. It is Redford. Yeah. Technically, yeah. it's Redford, yeah. Um, so uh, the way Ganella's works is you order by – the number of layers. <laughs> um, I think you can start with four, if I'm not mistaken, three meats and a cheese. I think it's three meats and one cheese. Three and then meats it goes, and one cheese. It goes in the, the increments, like basically just multiplying by it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's like the OG Ganella. And then um, what's cool about the Telegraph location is the original location on Telegraph was at, um, it was La Cantina uh -huh. uh, originally, which was owned by a guy named Rocco. Rocco was this old Italian man, uh, not really that old, but, you know, bigger dude. And it was an Italian deli. It was like a true Italian grocery store. And you could go in there and also get sandwiches from him made by him. They were very much in this style. And I would always go in there and get my own special sandwich, which was hot uh, capicola, hot soprasata, prosciutto, and um, Jarlsberg Swiss. That was my straight simple. The one cool thing about it, too, is you know how here at Ganella's, they've got that white sauce. They call it the sauce, even though it's just clearly dressing. Mm -hmm. um, but they also, the one on Telegraph has the red sauce, which is a spicy version of this. And that was Rocco's oh. OG sauce. And they do that at the Telegraph location. I don't actually know if they do it at the original Ganella's or not. I didn't, I didn't know that it existed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The red, red sauce. sauce rocks. All right. <laughs> and I love how you brought the hot Jardinera, too. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a hot... hot spicy everything guys so if i could he is spicy <laughs> i would um there's another sandwich shop uh well italian market cantoros oh yeah uh one on middle belt ha haggerty ha one on haggerty one on middle yeah. belt so the originals on middle belt and then the new the, the kind of italian food mecca is on um on haggerty um have you, you eaten at the restaurant in oh, haggerty? Yeah. The, the portion size there is ridiculous yeah, it's like, enormous like I get a half a portion of pasta and I'm still only eating half of it. Yeah. This is so it's very so generous. Yeah. Um <laughs> just had the uh, uh lamb ragu there just the other day. Yeah, they do great work there. Um yeah. and the the location on Middle Belt will make they make sandwiches to order. Mm -hmm. You can get um sp uh spicy everything. So they'll give you spicy meat, they'll give you smoked provolone, and then they'll put the the jardinier, the hot jardinier relish on it. It's a hell of a sandwich. On a on a crispy roll, like the Ganella sandwich has a soft roll. I prefer a crispy roll. Ooh. Not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I'm the soft roll guy. You're a soft roll guy. Yeah, yeah. I prefer a hard roll. They used to do a focaccia bread at the oh. Telegraph location too, and that was always my play, mostly because it soaks up the sauce that much more. So I'd always get mine drenched and swimming in sauce. Yeah. So, so this way, when you squeeze it, just like I'm doing right now, <laughs> it just kind of all flows directly into the bread, and then with every single bite that you have, you're getting like a burst of just. Not soggy, but I would say infused bread. That's awesome. <laughs> Admittedly, I, I I don't get ganelles. I like ganelles. I think the flavor's good. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just not big on the stack. I don't like stacked burgers. You know, I press my burgers down 
the sandwiches are, you know, I kind of want more of a flatter, you know, smaller panini style. Cuban. Just, you love a Cuban then. Cuban, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a season, it's easier to eat for me. I'm equal opportunity. Yeah. I'll take a stack, I'll take a flat, I don't care. It's it's whatever. I love a good Cuban, but I also, this. I think the Scanella sandwich is fantastic. I mean, it, it tastes good. Yeah. But the mechanics it's, it's, of eating is like, you got to eat part of it. You can't eat the, I, you know. Yeah, so honestly, like I would never order the 18 layer sandwich outside of a special occasion. <laughs> this is a special occasion because nice. Carlos is here. Yeah. Um, but uh, normally I think the the mid range, the nine layer is, is per- perfectly f- fine for any normal <laughs> appetite. Um, okay. So let's shift real quick. So we're, we're, we're talking about sandwiches now, but let, let's go all the way to the other end of like the fancy spectrum. <laughs> Bato, um, you, you were at a dinner Thursday night at the Detroit Foundation Hotel, the chef's table in the Foundation Hotel, correct? I was, yeah. Um, I mean, it was for the uh, kind of a preview dinner of what's happening uh, at Pernoy that's going to open in Birmingham. They're looking at August. August? Yeah. Okay. So they had two nights. They had a Wednesday night and a Thursday night. You know, and the chefs, for those that don't know, the chef's table is on the third floor at the Foundation Hotel right above the apparatus room, overlooking the apparatus room. Seats about, I want to say, uh, 10 people. I mean, man, I mean, it was phenomenal. It was beyond phenomenal. It was just absolutely amazing. They had... Uh, they start us off with three, uh, you know, hand pass type courses, uh, and that was lamb anglet anglet. I can never say that right. Anglet. Hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. Anglet. Yeah. There you go. A foie gras uh, tart with strawberry and rhubarb, then a, a spot um, prawn tartare, and then, of course, when Susie when you got there before you even got in there, you had a drink. You know, it was <laughs> wine pairings galore. It was it was just absolutely brilliant. Wine pairing throughout the whole thing. Uh, just run really quick through the courses. There was a main oyster. There was a bluefin natoro crudo. There was white asparagus, uh, granat, uh, seared day boat scallop, saffron, uh, capellini. That was, uh, that was my favorite. Absolutely ridiculous. And that was topped with caviar, correct? Topped with caviar. Mm-hmm. Uh, copper river salmon, quail, uh, roulade. And the quail roulade, uh, was another one that surprised me. I am not a mushroom guy. Uh, I like, uh, truffle. White truffle specifically, but mm-hmm. the morale on this, so I was just like crazy, crazy good. Japanese sweet potato, salt metal lamb. There was a Campari and pink grapefruit uh, sorbet, uh, then a honey parfait, and then there was some more desserts after that. Each, and all this had wine pairings with it. Um, it was so, so, so good. I, I, I posted a picture uh, on our Instagram, the Hungry Dudes, for just about everything except for the, the salmon. It was hard. It was real dark in there, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of hard to shoot, but mm-hmm. I posted a picture of everything except for the hand pass stuff. And, uh, so if anyone wants to check out what it was, but it was, if, if that's a preview of what Pernoy is going to be like, uh, man, we got some phenomenal fine dining ahead of us. So yeah. the, the chef involved, that was Luciano Dosoner. That was, uh, Chef Luch and it was, uh, Chef Takashi mm. of, uh, former tribute, uh, fame and, uh, Turtle. Slurping Turtle, Ann Arbor, Chicago, and Top Chef Masters. I think he did eight. I think he had eight uh, episodes on Top Chef Masters. Did he? I think so. Yeah. Um, you got uh, James Beard, best uh, chef Midwest before I think, Midwest, maybe. And then well, uh, one of the tickets was comped. Yeah. So just, yeah. Uh, um, thanks to them, and and the other one, you know, uh, we picked obviously picked up the other one. Uh-huh. It was uh, uh, you know, decent. I mean. I thought it was fair price for, for gratuity and the drinks and what you got. I mean, this is fine dining. It's best. Yeah. Which I think that, uh, you know, as Detroit grows as, as a, um, as a destination for travel and, um, as, as we mature more in our dining scene too, more of these fine dining restaurants are going to have to pop up. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think the way that the place is going to be designed, uh, have two types of rooms. Uh, one room will be like more of a prefix, uh, you know, room. Uh, the other room will be a little bit more casual. Uh, at the prefix room will probably be like a coat and tie type room, mm-hmm. you know, for gentlemen. Um, but certainly, a, you know, I think they're they're doing this with the place in mind to say, well, they said this for hospitality first, the food second. So everything's about the hospitality. And you know with Takashi and Luch, the food is going to be amazing regardless. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. hospitality first is what they were driving at. And 
they wanted to have a place that you know you thought about for celebration. You just got promoted, you graduated, you whatever. This is the place when you think of celebration to go for the celebration. That means a lot to me. <clears throat> Anytime that I ever go anywhere, obviously the experience is number one for me. Um, I love food. Always been a huge fan of food. But if I don't feel comfortable in a space or if I don't feel welcomed, it somehow makes the food taste not as good, not as delicious. And if I'm welcomed, if I feel like, uh, you know, not just the service staff, but also uh, the people at the door, the bartenders, everybody kind of gives a little bit of a, a little bit more welcoming there. That's how I feel like it's a good restaurant. It's a good place to go. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and then they, they also had uh, Justin Fulton as the uh, chef de cuisine. Okay. So he he did a, he did some courses, came out and talked about some of the courses there. So he's going to be, uh, you know, the man on on the floor. Oh, great! So uh, and they're and they're all tagged on our on the Instagram. So anybody wants to follow any of their stuff for Pernoy Birmingham, it's going to be in the uh, cafe via via space. Yep. And you said August potentially. Yeah, looking at August for the opening date on that. Great. Um, and this was just a lucky uh, lucky pop up they did. I mean, it was I don't know I. It was just great. I How'd you I, find out about it? Uh, well, they had posted on Facebook before, but uh, uh, they had uh, uh, reached out to Joe. Yeah. Yeah, they reached out to see if we could get uh, someone there on behalf of the Hungry Dudes. And um, I was out of town, but Vato was I got lucky. Than, yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I couldn't go. I couldn't, can't do something like that without uh, taking the wife. So no, <laughs> I was like, can I, is there, can I buy a ticket, please? And they're like, yes, you may buy a ticket. I'm like, sweet. You can't just say, oh, I'm so sorry. Right, sorry, honey. Sorry, I need honey. to go do this food thing. <laughs> Not for something like that. I mean, we we just know, uh, you know, I do a lot of different things, obviously, you know, out and about uh, solo style. But something like this is, and I didn't want her to miss any of it either because yeah. it, was just, it was real special. Mostly because you'll be talking about it for the next week. I know. <laughs> and plus all the pictures. Look at every picture that we post. It's like, oh, my God, this is great. Oh, my God, it looks great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of uh, a lot of FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it looked like it was delicious. I'm glad you yeah, had a great time. like you had night. a good time. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, uh, Carlos, you, you brought with you some Aunt Nee's uh, stuff. So <laughs> this is the full line, it looks like, yeah? This is the lineup, yeah. This is something that we've actually now had for – um, it's been two, three years. Thank you. Um, geez. Uh, we started Aunt Knees in 2009 as kind of a company and it definitely wasn't like this. Uh, we started as just doing salsa and guacamole mixes and then we came dry with, mixes, right? Dry mixes yep. that you mix in. So the salsa would just, just mix in with a can of diced tomatoes and then the guacamole was uh, two avocados and one tomato. And, uh, do you know like kind of how, how we got started? No, no, go. Um, go, go ahead, um, so Pat is, uh, Pat Schwager is my business partner. Uh, his mom is actually Aunt Nee, and she started doing just these salsa mixes as a hobby, <clears throat> just something fun for her to do. And she was selling, uh, just at like craft shows and wherever she basically could get her foot in for fun. Uh, and she got the opportunity at a VFW post to use their kitchen as a licensed kitchen so that she could continue to sell at events because this is before cottage law. Mm -hmm. And at this VFW, she started doing more things, kind of building it up as a larger um, opportunity. Well, 2009 hits, there's a big old crash and her husband and basically a lot of other people in, in Michigan lost their jobs. And uh, this turned out to be the only source of income for the house. So Pat and I were friends at college. He said, hey, listen, um, we've got this thing that we're trying to sell and we need help. So him and I, we're buds. We decided let's hit the road and let's start selling this as best as we could to try to make some money to save the house, save the family. We ended up doing really well that summer. It was really special for the family and for, for all of us. And we kept it going. Uh, after his dad got a job and after we were able to pay, you know, the house and keep the family afloat, we kept going and turned it into a company and we're doing the salsa and guacamole mixes at Eastern market since Oh nine. And then come 2015, 16, 17, we heard rumblings that, Oh yeah, garden fresh is going to sell. And we thought this is a great opportunity for us to step in and do our own salsa as a fresh ingredient. Um, so we took our recipes, stepped back and figured, okay, what can we do? That would be 
still in homage to the, the way that it tastes as a dry mix, but using all fresh ingredients. And that's what we started doing with first the medium salsa. And, oh, no, I dropped the guacamole. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just take it, whatever. It's yours now. <laughs> um, the medium salsa, which is the high five, that was our first product. And then we decided, okay, well, we, we need to, oh, no, I'm just knocking everything <laughs> over here. I'm just going to put my hands behind my back. <clears throat> Even though they're oily from the sandwich, they're, I'm using my shirt now. Um, the guacamole was something that we had decided that we wanted to do as well based off the packets, but we wanted it to kind of be based off my mom's ingredients, my mom's recipe. So we talked to her and uh, she's from Mexico City, like has been doing this guacamole her way and her friends love her guacamole. I love her guacamole. So um, took her recipe, kind of adapted it for it to have like a nine day shelf life. And it was just the medium salsa and the guacamole that we started selling just at Eastern Market. Did really well, decided to approach stores with it. Get larger distribution and then come out with two other products. Oh, and the tortilla chips. Uh, we were doing those too. The but chips the are fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the two additional products were the mango chipotle and the mild salsa. Um, so now we have four products across the line. Um, always, you know, in the thoughts of what else can we do? We experimented with a hot, but you know, when people go to a store to buy salsa, even though they love hot salsa, they'll either buy the hot for themselves or they'll buy something that's more approachable for the entire rest of the family. Mm -hmm. um, so the hot doesn't sell as well. Um, so we're sticking with this for the time being, but always thinking about those next steps. So where do you, who do you work with to, to uh, package everything? Uh, the guacamole, like the salsa, we actually work at Eastern Market. There's the uh, Eastern Market Community Kitchen in there. Uh -huh. It's uh, through the Eastern Market uh, Detroit Kitchen Connect is the program, DKC. Uh -huh. And when we found out that the VFW post that we were working out of was actually going to sell, Eastern Market had asked us, they said, hey, listen, like, um, do you ever want to be part of our kitchen? We took them up on the offer and we said, we'd love to, to work in that kitchen. And that became our test kitchen, our home, uh, the way that we started, you know, every single recipe that we wanted and were able to, to then create it in there. And still you can catch us every Thursday in there making guacamole. Um, just guac nights. It's, it's a fun, something fun party. Is guacamole only available at Eastern Market? Yeah, the chips and salsa we sell in stores right. all over Michigan. Uh -huh. um, but the guacamole is something that's special to me. I do it in very small batches. Um, we only sell, you know, between one and two hundred at Eastern Market every single week, and that's it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's very small batch. It takes a while for us to make, and um, it, it only has like a nine day shelf life. So. If you were to put it into stores, basically it just has to be bought and eaten within the next few days. Right. In terms of uh, like your reach, you said you're all over Michigan. How how far does that mean? Uh, up north, um, all throughout the west coast of the state as well. Um, wow. Yeah. There's there's a couple of distributors that do carry us, and they have different hubs throughout the state. That's awesome. So they literally got to get the product shipped to them like same day. For the salsas and the and the tortilla chips, they have much better shelf lives. Okay. Yeah, the salsas have, you know, 30 days. Uh, that's a, a 30 day at least. And then the chips, I mean, these have a date of 827 and it's currently six whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. So in terms of like your, your reach, like uh, on the west side of the state and up north, like how do sales do, how do sales do there? Because you're, you're no, well known in Detroit, I, I would imagine. Thank right? you. Like I think you are. Yeah, I you mean, it could, we could be more known for okay. sure. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, I think that's true of any any business trying to trying to sell more stuff, right? Yeah. But um, like, do do you ever do uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, like samples? Do you ever go over on the west side of the state or up north to to sample stuff off to people and yeah. meet them? Because honestly, like, you're the face of Aunt Nice. Like, oh, thank you. You know, like, and, and like, your part your personality is incredible. Thank you. And um. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm like honestly, like it, it, you're, you're incredibly gracious and you're you're hospitable, and um, it, it's just you know the smiling face is a, is a big deal. Thank you. You know, and that's what you were saying earlier about being welcome at a place. Yeah, I mean that's every day for me. Like I, I put a list together for myself a long time ago, and I still try to abide by that. And the number one thing on on the list is smile, because the way that I present myself. I know can affect another person just in front of, you know, whatever, whatever I decide to do. If I don't smile, somebody else is also not going to be smiling. But if I smile and if I have the opportunity to put a smile on somebody new's face every day, then I know that I'm doing something right. And I know that I'm going about life in general in a, in a good way, whether it's something that's, you know, going to, you know, make me 
money or happy, whatever, as long as I can make somebody else happy, then that's okay for me. And that's, that's the way that I approach everything that I do, whether it's the, the company that we've done here with Ant Knees or any of the pop-ups that we have or, um, you know, even just doing anything socially, going out, try to be a good person and try to, try to be happy because that then reflects in other people. I mean, I know a lot of people are having a bad day. You know, yeah. I've had bad days, right. you know, and I definitely have those emotions that stir inside of me too. But if you go about your life trying to just smile, be happy, be a good person, then everything just kind of falls into place sometimes. Yep. And f- food also helps. Yeah. Food puts people oh, yeah. in a great mood. I mean, good food. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of which, let's open that guacamole too. Hell yeah. yeah. Tell me about some of these pop-ups. Uh, the pop-ups that we've done. So we started with pop-ups. Way back when, uh, when pop-ups were, you know, still a low-key thing in the city, you know, like the way the pop-ups used to run, it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we go to this bar and use their kitchen. No, it was, we have this abandoned building that we found or there's this rooftop <laughs> and we've got a couple of crockpots or sternos and shapers come through and pay five bucks a plate. You know, that's the way that a pop-up used to be. It was like a secret kitchen, yeah. Um, you know, or, or come over to my house and check this out. Um, and now... Pop-ups have become a little bit more of the, uh, you go to a bar or restaurant and they aren't, you know, operating at the time. So uh, you're going to be taking over their menu and you're going to be the one uh, basically bringing the people that day. And the bar then relies on bar sales for for you to be like, oh, cool, it was a success. Um, but we started doing this pop-up a long time ago called High Five Taco. And High Five Taco was this giant, basically like hamburger patty that we would season with our seasoning, with our Antony's packet seasonings uh-huh. and a few other seasonings too. And then we would uh, then put that patty into a flour tortilla and then deep fry it. <laughs> what? And then they would take that out and it was like a crunchy chalupa basically, <laughs> but only way bigger and way thicker. And then we would pile on all of the the, the uh, toppings. So there's cilantro, onion, tomato, um, guacamole, salsa, uh, a bunch of stuff we would put in, uh, on top of this taco and you would get this taco that was probably, I don't know, about half the size, uh, about the size of my two hands together. This big taco and it was stuffed to the rafters for five bucks. And that's the way that we, we started, you know, just kind of doing pop-ups and getting getting into it. You know, fast forward a year, two years of us doing just that. And we got to meet a lot of the other people in the scene, you know, because we were doing pop-ups at like St. Cece's or other places that were uh, doing, that were hosting, you know, pop-up chefs at the time. And uh, oh, I love hearing that crunch on the, on the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> How's the guacamole? Oh, it's fantastic. Cool. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Um, and I, uh, I'll be honest, like in terms of prepackaged guacamole, like I never, unless it's honeybee. Yeah. Won't buy it, but that, I would buy that. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then that's done just the the way that it should be. You know, you cut open avocados. You know, we never use avocado pulp or frozen avocados. Um, it's fresh avocados every single week, fresh ingredients all the way through, and it's just mixed. And we put it into a container, and we fill it to like the rafters. We fill it all the way to this top, so in this way, there is no air inside of there. Uh, but going back to the to the pop up conversation, we. We're doing High Five Taco. That was cool. We got to meet a ton of people and then realized, wait a second, do we want to be a restaurant or do we want to be a salsa company? And that's when we decided to move forward with the with the fresh salsas and the guacamole, push it in retail there. But in the back of my mind, I still loved the aspect of hosting a party, you know, getting an event going, getting people to come and try something new, something fresh, something exciting that they probably can't do otherwise. And I started doing just independent pop-ups under Aunt Knees. Uh, we would do, you know, smaller taco events. And then I started doing nacho events because nacho parties are real cool and nobody does those either. And continuing to do, you know, small things, including Aunt Knees products, were just a really cool way to do additional marketing for the brand and the retail brand, but also a great way to just have a party or have an event. And over time, it became a little bit more than that. It became, you know continuing to, to, to market and, and, and do larger events. And then I started getting, um, you know, bar owners saying, Hey, do you want to come do, you know, maybe tacos for us? Or do you want to do something, you know, weird or zany for us? And then fast forward to me meeting my friend, Miriam Khan. And 
she's become one of my best friends, but you know, we just like in Detroit, you know, you'll meet somebody randomly over the course of a couple of years, you'll just see them and see them and see them. And then finally one day you're just like, Hey, by the way, my name is Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we became buds. And one day we were hanging out on our couch and I was like, well, what do you want to do? You know, cause that's, that's the question is like a lot of people are out here working and they're doing their day to day. But at the end of the day, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep working at a restaurant or do you want to do something bigger? And she said, you know, I want to do a pop-up. I've been thinking about taking like my mom's recipes and adapting it, doing something new. And then she told me what she did when she was in high school. She would come home late at night and then see that there was shrimp masala in the fridge. And there was also Hawaiian sweet buns, sweet, sweet rolls that her dad loved. Uh, and growing up in a Pakistani family, um, you know, having the ability to then take one flavor that is completely Pakistani and then one flavor that is just like, Hey, we've got this in the house <laughs> and mash it together and make <clears throat> shrimp masala sliders. Mm -hmm. This is something that she was just like, this is like the type of thing that I want to do. And we were like, well, what, you know, what could we do? I mean, if we want to do like shrimp masala sliders and what else, you know, we can incorporate an Antonese product, like the tortilla chips. What if we did like a nacho? And she's like, what if we did a butter chicken nacho? And then the butter chicken nachos, the shrimp masala sliders, those were like our first two item menus or menu items. And we decided, cool, let's, let's keep this rolling. And we created Kana, which is, uh, we call it Pakistani street food or Pakistani fusion. And it's just really whatever her and I can think of that's just going to be like the next eventual wild step in Pakistani food based off of her mom's recipes and then adapting it for what we want to see. You know, we're, we're people that, you know, we like to completely fuck around with food, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. it's just what, uh, what's, what's nuts, what's weird. And, you know, we've got, um, things that we've done, like, uh, a traditional biryani, you know, has, you know, potatoes and chicken and a really good, you know, essence and floral taste to it. Yeah. What if we had sweet potatoes and then the sweet potatoes just put it up another notch. Right. Cool. So we've got sweet, sweet potato biryani now and we can make it vegan by taking away the chicken. But then you're thinking, okay, well, is that truly biryani or are we doing something else? And we're fine. We're comfortable now doing something else. And then I've taken that approach and adapted that to other, you know, thoughts of, of cooking. So, you know, we've got Kana, which is something that I do, but also every Sunday, um, Saturdays and Sundays. Now my friend Merck and I, who has been this phenomenal chef friend, this guy, he's, He's just been a friend of mine. He's worked in IT for a long time. But amongst us friends, he's the chef. He's the guy that just cooks something nuts and big meals and is always just trying to be like, oh, yeah, you know, today let's have this party and I'm going to barbecue an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, cool. So I'm, I'm in. I'm here. You know, I'll, I'll bring the chicken wings. But like he uh, he always just goes above and beyond because he he sees or tastes something and he's like, I want to replicate that, but I want to do it better. I want to do it my way. So one day we're in Colorado, uh, a big group of us going out snowboarding as friends and we're sitting there and he's like, I'm going to make breakfast burritos for all of us. Tosses together breakfast burritos of this, you know, 12 inch tortilla. You do uh, jalapeno cream cheese, eggs, tater tots, um, and then he did like a breakfast sausage, green salsa. And then once you close it and seal it, you seal it then with Munster cheese. And we, I told him like, hey, if you don't do a pop-up with this shit, I'm going to be pissed. Joe, so, Joe doesn't like Munster cheese. <laughs> Wait a second. So you're telling me that he's, he said, I'm going to make breakfast burritos for everyone. And that's what, that's what his breakfast burrito was? That's, like w w with the sealing too, of the, with the cheese? Yep. That, that's like some next level shit. Like that's yeah. that. <laughs> when I say that Merck is a genius and also a madman at the same time, he truly is. And he was a DJ in high school and into college. So I call him DJ Chef Merck. <laughs> um, and he decided, you know, okay, like uh, I, I love this. This is a great idea. And myself and Ben Kehoe, who owns Bikes and Coffee, we were talking one day and we said, can we, can we get Merck to do this? Should we get Merck to, I think this is a good idea. Let's push Merck into this and talk to Merck. And Merck was like, yeah, I think we could try it out for a weekend. Lo and behold, we did that burrito. We did the veggie version, which was instead of the breakfast sausage, we turned it into collard greens. And then the vegan version. And the vegan version was um, sweet potatoes, collard greens, a crunchy sauteed chickpea, and um, a 
green salsa as well, and then a vegan cream cheese. And then over the next few weeks, it was kind of evolved. But he decided, you know, this is this is a good idea. We we jumped into this first pop up one day. We did twenty burritos, I think it was, and it was just on a Sunday morning. Told everybody, hey, we're doing breakfast burritos at Bikes and Coffee. And now we are, I think, three months in, and it's every single Sunday and now Saturdays. You can go into Bikes and Coffee and get either the breakfast sausage the collard green or the vegan. And it's just something fun for us to do because we love these breakfast burritos. Other people have expressed how much they love the breakfast burrito and uh, we can get it in, in people's hands and watch people happy, happily eating our stuff. How many are you selling a weekend now? Uh, we've gotten up to like 50 now. Wow. Well, on a Sunday. Yeah. yeah. And then we do the Saturdays too. So Saturdays um, I'm at the market, of course, uh, selling the chips and salsa and guac. Um, and then he does the prep work and then does the, and then brings them to bikes and coffee and bikes and coffee staff then just puts it on the panini press and warms it up. But on Sundays we make it kind of a party. We have fun there. You know, we invite all of our friends to come by. We make more burritos for Sunday because we know that more people are going to come by for Sunday morning breakfast. We start at 9am and we go until we sell out usually sells out between 11 and noon. You know, I, I, I think that I uh, manage time well and I have a lot of things going on, but I think this guy seems to have stretched time <laughs> and found more than 24 hours in a day because it's, I mean, the, you, you gotta, you gotta set aside time to make your guac. You gotta set aside time to do this. You gotta set, yeah. where do you find time for all this stuff? Scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. A long time ago, I was flying by the seat of my pants, just trying to figure everything out day by day, hour by hour. And I realized really quickly that you get super stressed and you hate your life. But if you can just write stuff down and create a list for yourself, just put it in your phone. And follow that list. I now have everything mapped out like within the hour or half hour mark of like the things that I need to do throughout the day. And that's allowed me to just keep going and going and going. And um, I have a girlfriend and she, you know, obviously needs time too. And I need to to, to be with her as well. I, I, I want to be with her. And it's uh, it's wild to then say, okay, cool. There's, you know, all of this time that I've separated for work. And she's working too, which is cool, but we also have to find a little bit of time to just kind of be together and hang out. And she's been super gracious in being able to hop on the road with me sometimes and do deliveries for chips and salsa because she knows that we got to spend precious moments together. You're still delivering chips and salsa too? So through through the distributors, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Through the distributors, we deliver a lot of them. But there's certain key accounts that I've been pretty strict with and I like to do it a certain way and continue to make sure that everything's being monitored. And I'll do that. I do, I think it's, you know, 15, 20 accounts independently myself. Wow. And then there's the majority of which that are all being done by the distributors. Um, so yeah, it's, so I do that plus the pop-ups plus, um, the podcast, which is just getting back started, which I'm stoked about. And then, um, you know, whatever other events. And if I can find time to go out and hang out with additional friends, I'd definitely do that. Didn't you just spend a couple weeks in Japan too? (laughs) I told you, man, he's got, he found like the secret of time. I I mean, that's a true statement, right? Weren't you there for, was it two weeks? No, it was more. More. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, so I, I figured I really have been wanting to travel and just experience food and leave work behind. Uh And the only time to do it is now, because if I don't force myself to do it, then I'll never get to do it. Uh And I, uh, I, I somehow was able to find, you know, the right mix of employees, people to help out friends and, um, put certain things on the back burner for the time being. And while everything else kind of was able to then operate without me, which is super fortunate that I have the right kind of people in my life, the, the true friends, proper, just people that, that care, you know, and they were able to take over these tasks and, and these things for me. And then I hopped on a plane and I went to Japan and yeah. uh, a buddy of mine, he hosts a food tour out there every year. It's called eat Japan. Uh, his name is Scott Brills. Great guy. Uh, he's from here in Michigan, but I don't even think he has a residence. He lives around the world and he does different, excuse me, different tours all across the world. Like one is a hiking up Kilimanjaro and um, another is a safari in Africa. But he does this Eat Japan tour because in, 
you know, years ago when he was in college, his freshman year, I think he had gone out to Japan for an exchange program out there working on a cruise ship, loved it for like a year, was out there, enjoyed every single moment and aspect of Osaka and Kyoto. I loved it and said, I want to do anything that I can to come back here and came back, designed a food tour and has been operating this food tour now for a handful of years. So it's a nine day tour. I jumped the first day that I got there. It was the first day of the tour. It was the first night dinner with everybody that's going to be part of it. And it was only six people, which is really nice, you know, wow. that sounds fun. and, uh, yeah. and it was very close knit. Everybody there was either a blogger, photographer, um, or just some kind of food head, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, we all immediately became friends. You know, I, I don't really drink, but day one in Japan, I was like, so I think I'm going to have to drink here because the, the Japanese culture is, is all about respect and it's all about giving and, and, and understanding, but they're also huge drinkers and they're going to then say, Oh, here, drink some sake, drink some, some beer. You have to drink all of, all of these things that are in front of you. And I'm not going to be rude and say no. Right. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Let's drink some sake. For sure. Let's drink these new things that I've never heard of before. So every day for this nine day tour, it was another point of exploration across Kyoto and Osaka. And I decided, you know, I'd asked Scott what he was doing afterwards, what his plans were. And he said he usually stays in Japan for like another month or so. Um, so I said, let me just stay with you till the end of the month. So it was three weeks, three and a half weeks, almost a month of him and I just doing Osaka Chiba, Kyoto, Nara, and Tokyo. And those days spent in Tokyo, I not only got a chance to understand a lot more about the culture, but also I was, the questions that I was asking were able to be answered better because of the people that I was starting to meet and, and the, the understanding of the culture that I had. And I was starting to learn some Japanese and learning the, the proper respectful ways to go about everything in Japan because everything in Japan is about respect. The entire culture revolves around respect. But the one thing that I learned is that rev Japan can be traced back to a single grain of rice. Everything in Japan comes from rice, whether it's the food that they do and how that's inherent to them or the beverages that they make like sake or beer, um, their agriculture revolves around rice. Their uh, cities and towns were all built for agriculture. Uh, before wartime, they were only, you know, massive rice farmers and, and, and huge um, operations that had to do with all of these things that had to do with rice. But also, I mean, you would continue to, to just see how this one crop affected the entire culture of the country. And there were traditions that they had and that they knew, but I started asking the questions, okay, why? And certain people just would just say, well, that's because of the way it is. You almost don't question it. You just kind of do it. And it got me really inquisitive as to why certain things were, they were the way they were. And then one day I went to this farm and was able to speak with this guy who is a sake brewer and he's from the United States, but moved out to Chip to Japan just to just to learn more about food. And in learning about food, he then learned about rice. And then in learning about rice, he then traced it to sake. And then with sake, he was unable to then say, well, everything in sake is Japan. It's, it's the, the weirdest thing were the conversations that he had telling me about how before war, everything was so detailed and so meticulous and sake was brewed in these massive wooden casks. And then over time, after 20, 30 years of being used, those wooden casks would then move over to the creation of miso and soy sauce to then be used for another 150 years. In, in miso factories and soy sauce factories, which today, if you still go to those miso and soy sauce factories, they still have some of the wooden casks from a hundred years ago. Hmm. The unfortunate part is post-war, during wartime, things were simplified and they had to realize the things that they needed to do 
had to be for the war efforts. And they couldn't do things to the detail that they did before. So some of those traditions got lost. But there's certain people that are fighting for those traditions to come back. So now there's only one small manufacturer. Actually, it's just a guy who's teaching a bunch of people how to still make these wooden casks. But nobody makes sake in wooden casks anymore, except for him. Is it like an industrial process now where it's like metal? Giant metal, yeah. The same way you brew beer. Okay. But he, this guy was now able to then say, I want to go back and do it in a traditional way. And the sake that we tried from him was the most different, weird, wild flavor I've ever gotten in my life. And it didn't even taste like the sake I've ever had before. Had your friend ever met this guy before? No. We we both wanted to learn how to make, um, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the, basically the stuff that's the starter for sake. I forgot the name of it already. Jeez. Um, and we went out and we Googled and Googled and then found this guy who's got a podcast too. It's called Sake on Air, I believe is the name of it. And he's based out of Japan, but he has just this insane knowledge of sake and food now as it relates to sake. And he picked us up from this train station way out in Chiba, like out in the, in the sticks we, we drove, where we took the train all the way to like one of the last stops. And he picked us up in this podunk town and then just started driving us around, showing us the different things. And uh, I took us to this one farm and basically it was like the Japanese equivalent to a bunch of woofers that were there. People that were just living on the land, working for the land, you know, operating a small business, a small restaurant on that farm. And these people welcomed us in with open, open arms, shared with us meals that were all created from the farm. Like, brown rice that was just picked you know and and different unique dishes that i've never even ever experienced before in my life is uh is scott going to incorporate that into his tours uh yeah he said he wants to start doing a little bit more like that what he wants to do now after the experience that him and i had in tokyo is he wants to start doing tokyo as well because japan is really just known for osaka and kyoto uh in terms of its food world and then tokyo is like Tokyo's huge New York mixed in with the biggest, like Mexico City, in my opinion. It's this huge, insane, sprawling city um, with great mass transit and a lot of rules <laughs> and, uh, and phenomenal food. But in terms of like the street food and the way that food is known, a lot of people associate that with Kyoto or Osaka. And he... We, we did a couple of things in Japan that, or in Tokyo rather, that allowed us to think, wow, this is so much more that we can augment a tour with, but it has to be a little bit more personal. Even if you bring around six additional people with you, it tends to, to add too much and, and people might want to go do a lot more, which is fine. Go do your own thing. That's okay. But if you want to be part of the tour, it might have to just be like a few people that you take and do these really low key experiences with. And I've, I've traveled a good amount and I left Japan with a tear in my eye thinking to myself, this place changed me. I not only know more about food, I know more about the presentation behind it, the art behind it, the understanding and the respect behind it, and just the overall respect of a culture and the way that people want to see each other in each other's eyes, you know, as I, I felt, <clears throat> I don't know, I felt thrilled to have that experience under my belt and come back and attack everything that I was doing here with so much more vigor, so much more um, energy and hope for what else I could possibly do. He's going to give some tours around here now, but <laughs> right in his spare time. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, now that you mention it, for sure, <laughs> um, I started doing small uh, just food tours for see? friends around here. <laughs> and I do... Uh, there's a, a lot to see around here. Oh, yeah. I see. yeah. Uh, sandwich tours around here. Um, there's a small walking tour that I do um, just for people first coming into Detroit as well. Um, and then I talked to Scott and asked him, you know, if I wanted to design a tour around Mexico City, which is where I'm originally from, uh, about food, how would I go about doing it? And right now I'm designing that for the, the Day of the Dead period. Um, so... Stay tuned for that <laughs> well, in his spare time. What does your food tour around Detroit look like? 
Um, Your sandwich tour. <laughs> uh, right now I have in my, uh, I haven't done like the full, like I've done the friendship tour, which okay. is like me just showing friends around from place to place. So like sandwiches, excuse me, it would be um, high grade deli, uh-huh. mudgies, uh-huh. Um, the places that you need to try out, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then I'm doing an Eastern market uh, small tour now, um, which is starts at the Shed 5 kitchen, just showing people around there because in Shed 5, we have a ton of different independent food pr- producers there. They're all doing their own thing, selling their products just like I do across the state, um, but then also selling at Eastern Market on Saturdays. And then from there, we go to Anthology Coffee, which just opened up. My friend Josh. On Division. Yeah, Josh and Hearn um, and Annie and that whole Anthology family have become really close to me. Um, just I was working out of that coffee shop in Pony Ride for a long time on my laptop, just hacking out everything and anything and became really good friends with these guys. And when they opened up this spot on Division, um, I, I wanted to help as much as possible and, and be there and, and just kind of experience it with them. And now they have this beautiful, yeah, open, it's beautiful space. space. Yeah. Have you been there yet? Not yet. Uh, it's beautiful. I yeah. mean, compare it. I mean, I like the other one too. Pony Rye was unique to me. It was the first pop up I ever went. That was the Guns and Butter pop up over there. Oh at wow, Pony Guns Ride. and Butter. Yeah, that was my that was my first one. Uh, but then I would go there to Anthology a lot. And it's funny. I, one time I was in Ann Arbor, and I stopped at a cafe, and it says proudly serving Anthology coffee. And I was like, Yeah, I was like, Wow, I had to come all the way to Ann Arbor to get coffee from <laughs> Detroit. Um, so then I. Uh, going through instagram one day and and the anthology pops up and it says you know hey we're they had i forgot what they had they had some like a dessert and i was like i didn't even know they're open yet so Mm -hmm. i I just rolled up there and sure enough you know they're still working on the space but kind of open as they're working yeah it's it's open now their uh business hours i think are seven days a week um and they're outstanding you know it's it's my favorite cup of coffee for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, specialty roasted. Josh is, I mean, he'll tell you himself. He's a nut in terms of his palate. You know, he's got definitely one of the most refined palates that I've had the chance to go eat with because uh-huh. he'll tell you to your face <laughs> if <laughs> this is something that needs something or is missing or has too much of something and, and he'll just tell you won't eat it. Or if wow. he'll, if he'll eat it, he'll, have a fair amount of comments. But if it's something phenomenal, if it's something good, he'll tell you immediately, this is great. Uh-huh. And I like what you did with this, this, and this. He knows his complexities. It's a unique public, kind of public space. It's next to, uh, uh, I can't remember the furniture. Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. They make the furniture and whatnot. So. Cool furniture. Yeah. There's a Floyd couch inside of Anthology too, just for you to try it out. <laughs> I, I, I never paid that much attention to it. I've always just gone up to the bar. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great space. Floyd started out of uh, Pony Ride too. Okay, and they when they got their business kind of off the ground, they were able to make a good amount of cash in order to be part of that new space as well. And now they're actually expanding their offices. Which that Pony Ride? What they sold for? I don't even remember how many million. It was at one point three or three point one, something like that. Great investment. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Cooley is a he's a pretty smart man. Yeah, he, he knows what he was doing at the time. You know. He started off by just, he, he had a, a fair amount of money from his career before what he was doing here. And he was able to then reinvest that by purchasing, you know, what at the time was, well, you're going to buy that building? Right, right. <laughs> what, what are you doing buying a building on Michigan Avenue across from the dead train station where nobody is walking right. around? And now no, you look just, at that area of Corktown and, ooh, we're in Corktown today. It's so illustrious and beautiful. It wasn't like that 10 years ago. Right. There's a, ho- there's a house that's on Wabash right on the south side of Michigan there. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's, listed, it's listed for like 300, right? And I don't know how many times we raided that place. Wow. Uh, it, was, it was such a drug den. Uh, <laughs> 300,000 right 300,000. Yeah, and, think- and it's a fixer-upper. I think one of them sold for like four ninety seven or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Wow. Like, it's total fixer upper. Wow. It's probably a two bedroom, uh, you know, half bath. <laughs> probably doesn't even have a pool. <laughs> you want the shower? Go outside. <laughs> we got buckets. All right. So why sandwiches? Why sandwiches? Yeah. Jeez, that's a great question. <laughs> um, man, I love sandwiches. They're great. They they, they transcend every culture. Uh-huh. No matter where you go, every culture has a sandwich. 
just a style of sandwich that they've been doing or they were able to create something like a sandwich, whether, you know, I mean, you got the shawarma sandwich where you got tortas in Mexico, where you've got um, the banh mi. You know, it's, it transcends every culture. It's, it's a language in itself because everybody gets it. You take two pieces of some kind of bread or even just one wrap, whatever, put some stuff in it and you got a sandwich and it's simple. People understand it. People, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever met one person that doesn't like a sandwich. I mean, even if you get it as an unwitch, which like Jimmy John's yeah, coined, with, with the lettuce or with something, the lettuce, yeah. it's still like a sandwich. Right. You know, like, I mean, I can take two slabs of meat and put some cheese in the middle of it and boom, I got a meat and cheese sandwich, no bread. <laughs> I saw they're doing it now. They're cutting pickles in half and using pickles as the buns. Really? Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I wouldn't I, mind. Yeah, I like pickles. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean there's, there's so much out there. There's like, uh, I think there was one where you took two fried eggs and make that as your bun. You can make anything as your bun, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like bread. I'm, yeah. I'm a bread guy. Right, like, and so you know, we're talking about canellas with the soft roll, like, like mm-hmm. a good crusty Italian roll. I mean, anything you throw at me, like it's just, yeah, sandwiches. I agree with you. Right. Are you, but are you hot or cold? Hot. I'm a hot sandwich guy. Uh, again, I, I don't want to sound like this, like, you know, uh, all inclusive hippie type. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all about both. I mean, I'll yeah. take, you know, a hot. Cuban or put, wait, uh, hang, hang on, put the hecky sack down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. it's like, but you know, like what you're saying though is like every culture has it, and, I, and every like if there's a sandwich, I want it. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that that's where we kind of agree here. It's like, and even when I was in when I was in London uh, a few years ago, like they have something called a chip buddy. Okay, it's two pieces of thick bread buttered with French fries in the middle. It's a fucking French fry sandwich. It, that's it. That's it. Sweet. And they put malt vinegar on the French fries. Mm. It, it's delicious. And it sounds well. The French fries with malt vinegar. I don't know about the bread around it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's carbs on carbs. Yeah. It, th- there's no like the texture doesn't really work. It doesn't. It, it's not like something that would work, and it, really, it doesn't. But it does. It's delicious. It's so hard to explain. Like double fried, double fried chips, and crusty bread. Yeah. You know, I sandwich for me, I mean, it's, we all have our thing, you know, growing up, it's all, it was always grilled cheese, yeah, grilled ham and cheese, whatever, right? And I mean, just, you have the taste memories and then you get older and you're like, I'm going to make this. And like, what do I want to eat? I want to have that. Or even, you know, better is the uh, breakfast sandwich. You know, oh, yeah. You know, you got a good English muffin or something like that. Or bagel. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the Detroit bagel, I go there a lot. Detroit Institute bagels, yeah. yeah Detroit Institute, I go there a lot and get the just a egg, avocado, and cheese, mm-hmm. and a rosemary sea salad bagel, delicious, toasted. Um, yeah, I mean sandwiches transcend everything. Meal time, breakfast, yeah. lunch, dinner, all of it. Like right. it's like you know, late night, whatever. hot turkey sandwich for dinner. Yeah, it, is a burger a sandwich? <laughs> um, so we, I, I've brought this up several times in my uh-huh. podcast uh-huh. Uh-huh. about like what is considered a sandwich? Is a taco a sandwich, a hot dog a sandwich, a burger a sandwich? Because people always argue with you saying yes or no. At the end of the day, I'm going to go ahead and say that a burger can fall into the category of a sandwich, but a burger is its own league too. Because if, if I say, hey, you know, I really want a sandwich and you come back at me with a burger, I'm not going to be pissed. <laughs> right. But I'll be like, okay, cool. I'll eat the burger, but it's not what I expected. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, but at the same token, if you say, I want a burger and somebody comes at you with a ham and cheese, <laughs> then you'll kind of be pissed yeah. because you're like, I wanted a damn burger. <laughs> or if you say, I mean, you got the cross between a burger and a sandwich and a patty melt. Yeah, right. see, the patty melt, I think, is a true sandwich because it's not a burger. It doesn't have the proper elements of the <laughs> the right kind of bun, the right kind of meat, and the right kind of accoutrements, uh, or even just bun and meat. I think those two together make what is considered to be a hamburger cheeseburger. But if you were to take the burger patty and put it in between any old piece of vehicle that isn't a burger bun, then you mm-hmm. got – Sandwich. So, so there's a place. Uh, I'm not gonna remember what street it's on. There's a place called the Food Exchange. Ooh, and y- you know about the big baby? You know about the big baby? That's okay. a big ass thing. <laughs> yeah. So the big baby, it kind of like melds it all together, right? It's like an onion roll. 
it's a pound of corned beef. <laughs> Something a half ridiculous a pound like of corned like corn half beef. a pound of corned beef, like six pieces of cheese, a pound of hamburger, um, lettuce, tomato, mustard, mayo. Holy shit! I think there's another meat on there. There too. might be another meat yeah. on there. So, uh, back when I was working for Channel Seven, I, we were doing. Um, it was back when uh, Rugby Grill had that. Uh, uh, the 80, 80 90 yeah, 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 dollar yeah, yeah. burger right yep, yep. but the big baby on one day of the week it's like six dollars <laughs> it's ridiculous and so i went to try the big baby versus like kind of compare the two because you have like you know 90 dollars versus six right the six dollar burger could feed you know normal people probably six people if you cut it up right you could, it's incredible it's it's good I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot for sure. Uh, um, if you're not expecting that kind of, eh, for lack of a better term, fat, <laughs> <laughs> then you might be a little turned away. Yeah. But if you know what you're diving into, if you know, hey, I'm gonna go get fat today. <laughs> <laughs> that big baby burger is a good old slap to the ass. Uh, uh, un- unless you're gonna feed, or you go with four people. Like, yeah. Right. We're gonna sp- we're gonna cut this thing into quarters, and we're we're gonna have a meal with it. The fries are good. Like. It's there's no tables on the inside. There's no you you walk in, you order your burger, you walk out, and there's like I think a picnic table on the left. The weather's nice, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like an Asian corned beef spot where yeah. you just walk right in, order. They've got the bulletproof glass. You grab <laughs> your stuff in the in the carousel, walk out, say thanks a lot, and then you go eat it either in your car or on the on the curb. Yeah, and uh, I mean I, I rode my bike past it last week, and I was I was on a small bike ride with a couple of friends. And I wanted to walk inside real quick and see how quickly I could grab it. Before I could even walk inside, this guy in his truck with, I think, his wife rolls down his window and goes, hey, hey, come here. <laughs> Roll aside. And I'm thinking to myself, is this guy going to give me half of his sandwich right now? <laughs> he goes, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Do you see how big this is? And I was like, yeah, man, I know all about it. He goes, oh, you a veteran. <laughs> all right, go get him. So wow. I went in there and I was stoked. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend getting it once. Yeah. The, the, the big baby. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google it just to see what it looks like. Yeah, and, and there's another one that um, I haven't had it yet, and I'm not going to re- – it's at Greg's Soul on the Wall. The bo- Boogaloo? I don't do, know what that is. Th- th- this is something – do you know about no, Greg's Soul on the Wall? No. Okay, so Mark Kurlianchek writes has um, posted about it numerous times. The restaurant is called Greg's Soul on the Wall. I know that the word Boogaloo is in the sandwich. It's like a chopped beef and barbecue sandwich. Mm-hmm. It's very de- – it's only in Detroit. Hmm. Served on a bed of uh, – it's like on a, on a sesame roll on um, a bed of uh, like uh, the crinkle cut fries. Ooh. So, you know, like again, something else to try. Not everybody can get crinkle cut fries right though. No, I know. And like I think Shake Shack is the only example of good crinkle cut that I've had. Yes. I love Shake Shack. Well, how could you not? That oh portobello God. and burger – Sandwich that they have there. Oh, with the, fri- with the fried mushroom with the cheese on the inside. Yeah, Holy shit! Oh <laughs> that's that's the one I get I, for sure. I just get the regular, regular cheeseburger. Just a standard smash. Yeah, and it then just uh, good quality ingredients. Oh so. my god, real simple. It is so good. Yeah. Did I talk about here how much, how much uh, sugars in the uh, shake? Uh, no, let's not talk about that. Oh. Enough. <laughs> the answer I, is enough. I took my four and a half year old there, and he he gets a shake, and then one day I look it up, and it's seventy grams. Uh, see, that's not that's not to say it. I know. <laughs> uh, I still do it though. I still get it. Something to look forward to in Detroit. We got Frida Bedito's coming into town too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you talk about good sandwiches. They have a hell of a Cuban, and the and the Eve Frida does themselves. Eve does such a good job. Yeah. And, uh, I love the Ann Arbor place. Just, one thing about hospitality there too. I walked in there and I had um, heard a couple of the guys speaking Spanish to each other, asked them kind of where they were, where they're from in Spanish too. And these guys immediately lit up, were super hospitable. They, they came over, they asked us how we were doing. They gave us over a couple of additional desserts just on the house for them just because they were that gracious that I was able to ask them some questions. And I thought that was so nice. And this is the kind of place that I want. I want to feel welcomed. I want to feel at home when I go somewhere. And I hope that I do the same thing in everything that I do, whether it's the pop-ups or you coming and visit me at Eastern Market or coming on a food tour with me. I just, I would like to be as gracious as possible to the people that are there to come hang out. And so where can people find you or more information about you or Antony's? Um, I use my Instagram a fair amount, okay. uh, Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram is, uh, my personal one is at Carlos underscore Parisi. Uh, P is in Paul, A-R-I-S-I. Uh-huh. And then Ant Knees is at 
ant underscore knees and E E S. Um, the, uh, Sunday swerve is what we call it. Um, for breakfast burritos on Sundays at bikes and coffee. That Instagram is at eat swerve S W E R V E. And then Kana is K H A N A Detroit. So at Kana Detroit. And that's all on Instagram. Wow. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Be- and best then, of luck finding time in the you. day. <laughs> uh, look forward to more food tours too. Yeah, for all sure. Right. I'll let you know as soon as I'm starting to do a little bit more, but I think the Eastern Market one, we should probably get going on. Awesome. Yeah. Carlos, th- thank you so much for being with us. It's hey, been a lot of fun. For sure. Until thank next time, much. dine.